0: Coming up on the Assassin's Podcast, we've got Jesse Lipson, CEO and co-founder of Levitate and Sharefile, jumping on the show to talk about bootstrapping his SaaS company, Sharefile, to a cool $93 million acquisition by Citrix. Jesse touches on the acquisition process and what that looked like during the sale of Sharefile to Citrix. He also talks about his current company, Levitate, and the keys to building a successful company both with and without venture capital. And then we talk about the rise of the diagonal assassin and dominating in categories that cut across verticals. We round it out, talking a little smack about some college basketball, and then building really big businesses in the Raleigh tech scene. Again, shout out to the diagonal assassin. Jesse's story is really incredible. All right, without further ado, let's get into the show. Assassins.
1: Assassin's state of mind, hustle, grind, see them dollar signs, assassin state of mind, assassin state of mind, hustle, grind. See them dollar signs, way above the bottom line, assassin state of mind, hustle, grind. See them dollar signs, assassin state of mind, assassin state of mind, hustle, grind. See them dollar signs, way above the bottom line, assassin state of mind. They say money over everything for wedding salary startups crypto stock exchange appreciate every penny i can change one phone call and your
0: life what will is change. going on everybody What's happy friday you it's your host Justin Van Hey here at the assassin's podcast where every week we have founders on the show talking about their journeys going from 0 to 1 this week on the pod we've got a special guest on he's currently the co-founder of levitate a platform that helps businesses keep in touch with their customers. And prior to that, he actually was the co-founder of Sharefile, which he bootstrapped, which I didn't know, and sold it to Citrix for a cool $54 million, 2011. He serves on the board of directors at Yext. He's a founding partner of HQ Raleigh, a co-working space in Raleigh, in an entrepreneurial co-living space called ThinkHouse. And his only flaw that I see is that he is a Duke Blue Devil which tragically eliminated my UW Badgers in the NCAA Finals a couple of years back. <laughs> so that is the dig I had to get out of the way before we jump yeah. into the show here. But
2: oh, well, thank you. I, I have a lot more flaws than that, but <laughs> I'll take it. If that's if that's the only flaw you're going to point out, I'll take
0: it. Jesse Lipson, welcome to the Assassins Podcast, man.
2: Thank you. Really happy to be here, Jesse.
0: So again, I gave you an elaborate background dating back to you know your early early years here, but I thought we'd just start with just sharing a little bit more about sort of what brought you to founding Levitate, the journey to founding the company. I love to hear more about the founding story behind Sharefile and uh, kind of go from there.
2: Absolutely. So to kind of go all the way back, but just do it really quickly. I did unfortunately graduate from Duke, like like you said, my only flaw. And I, I was actually a philosophy major, so I was planning to be a philosophy professor. I was not in tech but i graduated in the year 2000 which was kind of the end of the dot com boom and got a job with a small startup as the first employee and there were two founders and me and i'm self taught software developer so i learned to code by just doing google searches starting to build websites doing some freelancing i left that company and started my own website design development business got better and better at coding and then At the end of 2005, I decided to launch ShareFile, which is a business file sharing solution. And um, I coded ShareFile myself and started with a $100 Google AdWords account and decided I was going to take two years without a salary and uh, just reinvest everything I made back into more Google AdWords. And so I went from $100 to like, Three years later on my credit card, I was spending like $300,000 a month on yeah. Google AdWords. And eventually like American Express called me and they're like, Hey, you know, would you mind sending your company's financials? Cause if, if you go for a month and don't pay us, we're out like $300,000 and no one had ever, I just slowly built it up over time. Yeah. And so just kind of grew the business and Citrix came knocking on our door in early 2011 and made us a great offer. And so we decided to, to join Citrix. And I, I stayed there for five years till uh, ShareFile was over $200 million of revenue, 70,000 customers, to like 900 people on my team. And that's the, the very shortened version of the story.
0: Taking a step forward here, I know we're talking about Levitate a little bit more and the journey behind founding that company, with Levitate, it's, it's interesting because I know in our last call, we talked about its position and focus as a, a diagonal SaaS product. And so yeah. I'd love to hear a little bit more about sort of the difference between the ShareFile customer and how you all thought about Levitate's ICP and sort of the industries that you're building for and, and supporting with uh, with the current company you're working on.
2: So ShareFile started off as pretty horizontal, by the way, when we started Sharefile in 2000, end of 2005, early 2006, file sharing was not a cool category. In fact, when I would tell people about it, they were like, isn't that something out of the year 2000? There's like Drive and Streamload and there were some existing solutions out there. But it quickly became actually probably around 2010. It was the hottest category in, in software for a while. And so Dropbox was launched around the time that we launched ShareFile. Box was launched around that time you send it, a little bit before. So we realized as a bootstrap company, we're going to have a really hard time competing with Dropbox, Box, Microsoft, and Google as a horizontal solution. And so we decided to kind of go vertical, but instead of going into a single vertical, we went into kind of a family of industry verticals that were more security and compliance focused, like Accounting was our, our first one. We had a third of all accounting firms in the US and we did financial advisors, healthcare, law firms. And so our CEO at the time at Citrix kind of coined this term of you all are not vertical, and meaning that you're not in a single vertical, you're not horizontal, you're kind of diagonal. Sure. You've got like eight verticals that pretty much make up your business and they're they're related in some way. And so I decided when I started Levitate that I feel like I became kind of an expert at this diagonal SaaS approach. And so I wanted to do the same thing with Levitate because figure one of the questions I tried to ask myself, it's kind of a cliche when people talk about what are you the best in the world at or what can you be the best in the world at? And I was like, well, kind of diagonal SaaS into SMB, I am probably one of the best people in the world at figuring out how to do the go-to market, build products and and, uh, provide support for kind of a cluster of SMB verticals.
0: You're the diagonal assassin. That's true. You're the, the diagonal assassin. assassin. That's, that is coin. Yes. we're trademarking that. That's that awesome. that. that's awesome insight. And a little bit on, on the back of the ShareFile journey, I mentioned this earlier, you bootstrapped that company. What was the decision like in sort of holding on any sort of venture funding for ShareFile and I know with Levitate now, you, you know you all have formally raised venture capital, sort of just your thinking around how you founded both of those companies, the difference between obviously one bootstrapping and being a little bit more capital efficient, having to make the Amex calls. What was sort of the, the yeah. thinking behind one form and the other? And how did you think about staying capital efficient as you grew Both of those businesses?
2: My first for ShareFile, because I was kind of a child of the dot com crash, you know, so like the first company I went to work for was venture funded and I joined in like May or June of 2000. So the dot dot com bubble was bursting and it was like pretty ugly for a while. And so that was the first experience I had with venture capital, kind of watching venture capital used in the wrong way. And a lot of companies just spending all their time raising money and not really focusing on building the business. And I mean, it's a little bit the same of what was happening in the bubble of 2021, you know, just pretty recently with crazy valuations and just like not a lot of focus on the customer and profit and building product and just a lot of focus on raising my next round and then figuring out what I need to do to raise the next round after that. And I was young and inexperienced. And so I came out of that experience with a really bad kind of conception about venture capital of like, why would I raise venture capital? Why not just learn to code, build the thing and, and get customers. And I understand some value of venture capital, but it's a lot better to just say, take all the energy that I was going to put into raising venture capital and, um, instead apply that energy toward acquiring customers. And so that's what I did. I look, you know, that's part of my reason for learning to code. And, um, the other thing is, I had a lot. Of, I've always had a lot of business ideas, and I was like, "Man, if I take venture capital, I'm like committed to that idea. And if I decide six months later I have a much better idea, I kind of have to go with the one where somebody funded me for millions of dollars. And so I felt like it. It also gives me a lot more optionality if I build it myself and don't take capital. I could pivot and say, "I want to stop doing this and try this completely different idea. And I'm, I'm not going to make anybody mad. Yeah. So that was kind of the. Um, the other thing is like, as a first time founder, raising VC is, is a lot harder. Yeah, um, I don't know if I would have been successful raising VC anyway, because I was an unproven founder, like 25 years old, and uh, based in Raleigh, North Carolina, which at the time was a huge obstacle for raising money. It's not anymore. But going back to that time, it was like, you're not in Silicon Valley, then you're not serious. So the second time around, There were a couple reasons why I decided to raise for Levitate. One, I was 39 years old. I basically was just turned 40 when I started Levitate. I did not have the energy. You know, the first time around bootstrapping, I was the only employee in the company until we had a thousand customers. And so I literally had to bring my laptop with me wherever I went. If I went to dinner with my wife or the movies, or I was just carrying my laptop because if our servers went down, the only person who... Could fix it was me and so i had an alert set up if the servers went down so if i got a call i would be have to be i could be at dinner with friends and i would have to be like sorry guys i need to get up find a spot to open my laptop and see if i can fix the issue <laughs> with the servers so i was basically working like essentially 24 7. yeah and because i i wanted to hold off on hiring because that as long as i could to be able to feed more into the the growth engine and so at age 39 and I was financially more comfortable, I was like, I just don't know if I can do that again. And uh, so I hired a couple of developers that cost money. And then also I brushed up my coding and I still helped code the original, original Levitate. So part of it was, it's just harder. Bootstrapping is great, but it's like incredibly difficult, especially at, at the beginning when you're building that, that flywheel of revenue. The other thing is that raising money is easier. After having a a good success, I don't think I pitched anybody to raise our first round. It was just kind of some conversations. I I did the seed fund funding, the pre-seed. And then when it came time to raise our series A, I had a few relationships with folks and they were just like, hey, when you're ready, let us know. We'll just write you a check. And so the the effort, whereas being a first-time founder, you might be spending half your time just fundraising. This time it was me just literally sending an email and getting a thumbs up. And so the, the, the effort and cost of raising funding was a lot lower the second time. So I decided to do it that way.
0: It's just with ShareFile too, it's pretty remarkable. I mean, you approached it like an adult. <laughs> it feels like you really did responsibly run and manage the business. I know it sounds like it was it was absolutely brutal going through it, but it, may, it makes a lot of sense. And the process and the decision to sell ShareFile to Citrix we sold disco to Culture Amp. We didn't hire a banker. We sort of did it all on our own and we just got lumped up by <laughs> the attorneys and it was brutal going through yeah. it. But it ultimately it ended up working out, which was awesome. But yeah, I was just curious to learn a little bit more about what the process looked like for you, you know, in selling Sharefile to Citrix, how you thought about that opportunity and the pros and the cons and how you were weighing that. And just any other battle scars or solid war stories that you felt like would be relevant for first time founders?
2: Yeah. So I kind of coming out of the financial crisis, I initially founded Sharefile and thought, hey, if I can get it to a certain scale and sell it, that would be awesome. And then as we got to that scale, I would move the goalposts and be like, oh, but if I ran it for a few more years, then we could sell it for this much more. And I think coming out of the financial crisis, I decided, okay, I need to stop moving the goalpost. If somebody comes and offers me a certain amount of money, I really just need to take it and kind of take the win versus continuing to run the company. And I I also perceived at the time we had pretty well-funded competitors like Box and Dropbox who were raising hundreds of millions of dollars. And I think the conventional wisdom in SaaS at the time was... If you're not number one or number two, you're screwed, basically. It used to be the conventional wisdom. All the profit goes to like the number one and number two players. I don't think that's the wisdom anymore. I think we've learned a lot as an industry to know that a big enough market can support many, many, especially in B2B, hmm. a big enough market can support many, many players and who can be very successful. And so I was like, hey, if somebody comes to me with a certain number, I, d- I just need to kind of take it and, and lock in the win. So... About the same time, people started kind of poking around, and um, I got one offer that was a little bit bizarre uh, from a small public company, but it was a real, real offer to kind of merge and make us essentially the, the future of the company. And then Citrix came knocking. And by the way, they acquired us for ninety-three million. It was fifty-four in cash and about forty in stock. Yeah. But they came knocking and we probably don't have enough time in the podcast, but it was a wild ride. They kind of came knocking, went silent, made an offer to somebody else. I found this all out afterwards. Yeah, That went kind of far and we couldn't get in touch with them for like a few months. And then that fell apart and they came back to us. And so we did hire a investment bank and part of it was kind of getting back to the Raleigh thing. We don't want to be perceived. We're not based in the Bay Area. We don't want to be perceived as naive country bumpkins being in Raleigh, even though Raleigh is like a decent sized city. And so if we get represented by a top tier investment bank and a a really, really reputable New York based venture law firm that that would help counteract any issues like that and negotiating terms. So it ended up being like almost 10 months from when they first approached us to when the acquisition actually closed. About six months of that was just them approaching us ghosting us it kind of came conversation came back but it was probably the most stressful year of my life because i felt i was so close to having a game-changing outcome for me and my employees but i knew that any time it could fall apart if the stock market crashed and there was like a little mini crash in the summer and or if they just changed their mind or whatever happened and so that year I had all these mysterious ailments that were like stress-related. My eyes got were kind of screwed up. And then my hands started peeling and my feet started peeling. I developed this cough that lasted for like six months. And so my body was just telling me, you're super stressed. And then eventually, though, in October, the acquisition closed. And then that was like one of the highlights of my career. Yeah. October and through the end of the year, kind of celebrating locking in the win. So. It was crazy, uh, crazy time, great learning experience. And I was on the other side at Citrix. I acquired a few companies and I think it's great that I had that perspective as an entrepreneur myself, knowing what what the entrepreneur's experience was on the other side, and it really helped me actually as an acquirer to be somebody of like, I know what you're going through. I know what the acquisition process is and the, and the integration process. And so it made me, I think, a better acquirer to know how, how difficult emotionally it is to go through an acquisition
0: you've got a network of primary care physicians on staff that are dealing with all these <laughs> therapists yeah. dude i feel that so much i had weird stomach issues Oof. i had like a MRSA scar i'm like what is going on with my body right now <laughs> this stuff is just yeah. breaking out so shifting gears a little bit i'd love to talk about hq raleigh and just the Raleigh scene, I actually, I spent some time, I think I mentioned this in Cary for a while when I was at Intuit uh, and Intuit Health and Duke Blue Devils aside, I had a blast in Raleigh. It's pretty phenomenal. I went to a Hurricanes game, got pretty turned up for that. People go crazy for those. Bojangles is no joke. So I'd love to just hear a little bit more about HQ Raleigh and more about just what's the startup scene like in, in Raleigh
2: yeah i co-founded hq raleigh in 2012 a little bit after citrix acquired my company this was when we work was actually just kind of still starting like probably just still in new york and so there were no co-working spaces in raleigh and i really want to just help the entrepreneurial scene and create co-working for startups exclusively and we actually just recently in the last couple of years changed the name to raleigh founded so it's now called raleigh founded but we have four locations in Raleigh, one on NC State Centennial campus and then a couple downtown and another one where my company is actually based. Over 100,000 square feet, over 300 startups working there. And my whole goal was not really profit me and me and the other three co-founders it was like how do we help the start startup ecosystem by solving one of the challenges I had when I did Sharefile which was for 9 or 10 straight years pre-acquisition and post-acquisition, every year we either had to move office spaces or expand our lease within the building. And just like trying, the idea of signing a five-year lease and having any idea of how big the company is gonna be in five years was just inconceivable to me, but that's how commercial real estate was set up. And so I really wanted to just solve that common problem that a lot of entrepreneurs have. And then also one of the challenges in the triangle Raleigh-Durham community is, there's a lot of great startups but it's very spread out geographically raleigh durham chapel hill it's like huge area and so it can be i wanted to increase the density at least in raleigh and then there was a there's another group called american underground that did the same thing in durham and you talked about Cary. we're actually just about to launch a cary founded so oh, cool. kind of expanding it to carrie as well so yeah it's been a fun project i did the think house which was the entrepreneur co-living mm. which felt like a fun experiment The goal there was we have a lot of great schools here. How do we keep entrepreneurs in the area? And so we had a a house that we we bought and it was kind of like a real world entrepreneur edition where we sponsored a bunch of entrepreneurs to live there and then go through like lean startup programming and and that kind of thing. And uh, eventually we we did it for five years or so and eventually phased it out. But it was a super fun project that... uh, Really enjoyed.
0: Yeah, big fan of the area. It's just, it's, I know it has a lot to offer. Uh, last question here as we wind things down. I've been asking this of serial assassins, specifically for the Diagonal Assassin. What is one thing that Jesse, the co founder of Levitate, would offer as advice to Jesse, co founder and CEO of ShareFile?
2: I need to go back and listen to the rest of your, your podcast to see what the other answers were and if mine is unique. But really, My advice would be enjoy the process. I think that oftentimes in startups, you get caught up in the stress of the day-to-day and kind of the existential failure. And you forget to look up sometimes and be like, these are the funny stories that I'm going to look back on fondly or these are great milestones. I need to like take a moment. And so that's probably the biggest thing. I mean, really, if I go even beyond startups and probably what I would tell myself, my younger self in general, as Warren Zevon said, like, enjoy every sandwich, enjoy the journey. You got to feel the stress and it's, it's tough, but try to take a step back from that and realize what a cool thing that you're doing and, and enjoy those wins along the way.
0: In reflecting on that question, I don't know if we've had anybody touch on that, just the ability to enjoy it. A lot of answers around thinking bigger. That's a pretty consistent one is like thinking bigger mm-hmm. about what you're going after. But mm-hmm. I love that. Uh, love that reflection. All right, man. As we wrap, is there anything else that uh, that you wanted to plug?
2: You know, Levitate, so it's been a lot of fun. I'm, I'm five years into it. We're now bigger than ShareFile was when ShareFile was acquired by Citrix. And what we're trying to do is help relationship-based businesses, so law firms, accounting firms, financial advisors that are really driven mostly through referral and, and word of mouth, achieve what I say call authenticity at scale. So keep in touch in a much more personal and authentic way than using a mass blast know, marketing solution or something like that. So it's been a lot of fun. I've been excited about what we're doing traction wise and we have some some really cool things that are to come in the AI space. And so we just crossed 4,000 customers. And so I'm hoping to do it again. But like I say, this, this time bigger, better, and faster than ShareFile. So maybe I'll come back after... After I get a levitate exit when you're doing Assassin's 2028 edition and the the diagonal Assassin will make... His, his next appearance on the pod. Very nice. I love that. If, if you have, oh, <laughs> dude, for sure,
0: for sure. It depends on what happens in March Madness this year. If you guys smoke us in the tourney again, then we'll see how this goes. But next
2: time, I don't know if either one of us are going to make the <laughs> tourney. But I you guess- <laughs> guys have
0: that tall ass center. He looks he looks like me. He's tall. He's like eight feet tall. He's just he's a that guy can hoop. So
2: I don't know. We'll see. So we'll yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's solid. He's very yeah, solid. He's solid. yeah. He's
0: solid. Well, I appreciate you, man. Thank you for jumping on the show. Would love to have you back on, obviously. And yeah, if I'm down in, in the Raleigh area, we'll have to either, I don't know, we'll either hit up Bojangles and go to Kane's game or hit up a dev- Blue Devils game.
2: That sounds awesome. All
0: right, Jesse. Yeah. All right, take care, man. Thanks, Jesse. Bye. All right, that is a wrap. Again, shout out to Jesse and the entire team at Levitate. Man, that guy is truly the real deal. Uh, It is not easy bootstrapping a company, let alone getting that sort of return on the other side of it. And just a lot of good one-liners in it. I love the one-line, why not just learn to code, build the thing and get customers. So again, excited to see where he goes with Levitate and we'll have him back on the show here in not too long. Uh, This week on the podcast, again, we got another guest coming on, a good friend of mine. Uh, I'm actually an investor in His company. We're going to be talking about the shipping space. It's going to be a great episode. All right. In the meantime, appreciate everyone tuning in. You know what it is. Keep hustling, keep grinding, keep getting that money. Assassin's state of mind. Hustle,
1: grind. See them dollar signs. Assassin's state of mind. Assassin's state of mind. Hustle, grind. See them dollar signs way above the bottom line. Assassins, state of mind. Hustle, grind. See them dollar signs. Assassins, state of mind. Assassins, state of mind. Hustle, grind. See them dollar signs way above the bottom line. Assassins, state of mind. They say money over everything. Everything. Gay again a game. Before a wedding ring, salaries, startups, crypto, stock exchange. Appreciate every penny. I can change. One phone call and your life can change. What's your love language? Can't do business if it ain't reciprocated. Closing deals on a daily.